0: You are listening to Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. I am your host, Dennis Toubergen. I am here every week at this time. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me on today's program, I have a terrific special guest. Joining me in the next segment will be best selling author Harry Dent. Harry is a, a prolific author, uh, seems like every book he writes ends up on the bestseller list. And we will be talking to him about his forecast for where stocks are going and where the economy is going. That will be in segments two and three on today's program. You know, two good people can disagree. And Harry and I share a slightly different opinion on where gold is headed. In fact, this past week, subscribers to the Portfolio Watch newsletter got a forecast from me as to where the Dow Jones Industrial Average and where gold may go from here. Now, if you're not yet a subscriber to the Portfolio Watch newsletter, you really have no excuse because the newsletter is free. All you need to do to subscribe is go to the website RetirementLifestyleAdvocates.com and click on the featured resources link and there will be a place that you can subscribe to the Portfolio Watch newsletter. It is delivered every week on Monday at 5 o'clock, and you will get just one email a week from us. You will not have your information shared. Uh, We give you the newsletter, and we give you a link to the podcast in case you missed this program at the time it airs in your area. Well, this past week in the Portfolio Watch newsletter, as I said, I made a forecast. So I'm going to share with you in this segment what that forecast is and why I'm making the forecast. I'm going to provide you with some documentation as well. Now, if I were to say the Dow to Gold ratio now stands at about 18 Let me repeat that. If I were to say the Dow to gold ratio now stands at about 18, many of you would have no idea what I'm talking about, but it's an indicator that you should really pay attention to because as time goes on, in my view, it's going to become even more valid than it already is. Now if you're not familiar with the Dow to gold ratio, it's something that I track every week in the Portfolio Watch newsletter. And it's calculated very simply. You simply take the price of the Dow Jones Industrial Average in dollars and divide by the price of gold per ounce in dollars. Now the Dow at the time that I made the forecast was hovering around 27,000. Gold was at about 1500, so If you take the 27,000 and divide by 1,500, you get a number of approximately 18, just under 18, actually. So the Dow to gold ratio is 18, meaning that if you were to use gold to buy the Dow, it would take about 18 ounces to buy the Dow. Again, the price of the Dow in dollars divided by the price of gold per ounce in dollars. Now, why would I want to use a ratio that has Dow over gold. Why would I want to price the the Dow Jones Industrial Average in gold? And the reason, if you think about it, is pretty obvious. It's because dollars lose purchasing power over time. It's because inflation occurs over time. And inflation is really just dollar devaluation. So... Inflation, the same force that causes prices to go up at the grocery store, also drives up stock prices. So taking the Dow and dividing it by the price of gold per ounce gives us a real value of stocks as opposed to a nominal value. If the dollar, over a long period of time, were to lose 20% of its purchasing power, that would have the effect of driving the Dow up on a nominal basis by 20%. But not on a real basis because those dollars don't buy what they did when you initially invested in the Dow. An ounce of gold, on the other hand, has always been an ounce of gold. And since through most of history, gold has been money, It's a very effective way to determine the real value of stocks. Now, as I said, the Dow to gold ratio now stands at about 18. And here's my forecast. My long-term forecast continues to be that this ratio will reach one. Now, that means more downside for stocks and more upside for gold, likely. Now, that's a big move. It's at 18 now. So that means gold has to go to 10,000 and the Dow has to go to 10,000 to get a ratio of 1. Now, in my view, economic circumstances exist around the world and they exist presently, currently. And these circumstances suggest that this is a likely outcome. Now, as crazy as that prediction might sound to you, Hear me out. Much of the rally in stocks over the past couple years, just to get started, has been due to companies buying back the stock of their own companies. Now, CNN reported this on August 22. Corporate America's epic buyback mania may finally be ending. 2017 corporate tax cuts left U.S. businesses flush with cash. S&P 500 companies responded by rewarding shareholders with record amounts of buybacks in 2018, with each quarter setting an all-time high. However, that record-shattering pace appears to be slowing. S&P 500 companies executed $165.7 billion of buybacks during the second quarter of 2019, according to preliminary estimates by S&P Dow Jones Indices. And although that is still a large amount of repurchases, it's down 13% from the same period one year ago. The article continues by saying the slowdown in buybacks, which have become a lightning rod for criticism among some in Washington and even on Wall Street, underlines the impact the law had last year as companies steered a sizable chunk of their windfall to investors. Well, as stock buybacks slow, one of the activities that's been supporting the stock market becomes less supportive, and that makes stocks more susceptible to a decline. As demand slows, prices fall. As demand wanes, prices decline. The second thing that you wanna take a look at is margin debt. Now, if you're not familiar with margin debt, margin debt is debt that an investor incurs to purchase securities, usually stocks. Now, as long as margin debt keeps rising, what it means is people are continuing to buy, borrow more each month and taking the loan proceeds and buying stock. And as long as people continue to borrow more each month, buy stocks it helps create more demand for stocks so given that we have very high margin debt levels and given that we've had a significant amount of stock buybacks by corporations we have a couple areas of demand that are now starting to slow now there's more to this story And I'll give you more insight into my forecast in the last segment of today's program. However, let me remind you that if you're just tuning in, you should be a subscriber to the Portfolio Watch newsletter. You would have received this forecast last week in your email inbox. If you'd like to subscribe, go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and click on the featured resources link. I'll be back after these words with Harry Den. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me again on today's program is one of my favorite guests, uh, best-selling author, Mr. Harry Dent. Harry's most recent book is Zero Hour. And if you're not already a subscriber, Harry has a free newsletter that's available at harrydent.com. I would encourage you to check it out. And Harry, welcome back to the program.
1: Yeah, nice to be back, Dennis.
0: So Harry, tell me and the listeners. uh, Last time you were on, uh, which was in the spring, uh, we talked about the fact that you thought that uh, the market would probably rally a bit here through this year, and it seems like that's what's happening. Uh, What do you see ahead as far as the U.S. stock market indices are concerned?
1: Well, you know, we we are at a critical point. We have rallied almost exactly as we said. Even Bitcoin has rallied up to this point, but both markets have stalled. And they're at a place, and, and we're leaning towards the upside breakout. But if, if stocks can break out to a substantial new high here in the near term, then they should continue to rally uh, towards our target of 10,000 on the Nasdaq. If you get that high, and maybe as high as 33,000, the Dow, that would be what we call the final blowoff rally in the bubble that started in 2009, with all this endless stimulus and money printing, and uh, and then, you know, there's only one place to go after that if we see that strong a move, and that's down. And, and we also always warn people, because I've looked at bubbles over the last century, especially in stocks, and the first crash after a bubble like this is usually 40-some percent in the first two and a half months. So when it does finally come, it whacks really hard. So it's better to get out a little early than late, but I still think the momentum looks uh Basically, more to the upside into early next year, and 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 then then it's time to watch out. If you see Nasdaq anywhere near ten thousand, it is time to sell.
0: So, Harry, when you look at the political pressure on the Fed uh, to uh, go back to more easy money policies, uh, reducing interest rates. In fact, uh, I think that uh, the consensus is we'll see another quarter point rate cut here in the near future. Uh, I guess I'd like your your take on that. Well that Again, stimulate the market, or have we shot all those bullets as far as the Fed's policy is concerned.
1: Well, you know, I mean, there's always more bullets, but they are, you know, there is diminishing returns. I mean, they they have raised rates and they're starting to lower them. They can lower them back to zero. Um, they can buy more bonds, although that's really diminishing returns. I think the thing that that Trump has in his arsenal is more what he's he's talked about not too far ago about doing a property, uh, a payroll tax, you know, social security tax, payroll tax, holiday for for households, not for businesses. They've already gotten a big tax. That that would be I mean, sending uh, that's like sending money to the public without having to print it and send checks. It's just an easy way to people to save money short term. And that that would probably be the best thing to stimulate. But again, I mean, how long can you keep having very low interest rates and all this stimulus until everybody's refinanced their mortgage, everybody's traded up to a better house or bought a house that was on the fence or or bought a better car. And a lot of people have done that. Car dealers have been one of the biggest beneficiaries to all this quantitative easing. We used to see that car, people would spend the most money on cars about age 54. Now it's 63. So people, as they get older in retirement, are just saying, well, gosh, with low interest rates and less money to have to spend on my kids, in college or grandkids because of student loans. Well, we'll just buy a, a Lexus, you know. So, but, but how long before that wears out? And, and, and you got to notice here, we keep knocking on the door saying this, how can economists not notice that with unprecedented money printing and free money thrown in the economy and tax cuts for businesses and everything else, we keep returning almost instantly to 2% growth and there'll be a period when we don't have that. I mean, it, we, the economy is weak in demographic trends. We called the top in momentum in late 2007, 20 years before it happened, just on predictable baby boom spending. We've been living off of free money and stimulus, unbelievable stimulus, and Japan makes us look like nothing, and Europe is already turned around in stimulus. So, so they're, everybody's stimulating strong, like Japan, or looking to re-gear, like Europe and the U.S., so, so they're going to keep stimulating and any sign of weakness but the question is when does it just not matter or when does the stimulus just come too late and remember that first crash when the market finally smells weakness and thinks it's over it comes very fast so so again there's still momentum cuz the market see well gosh, China or Trump somebody's going to make a deal on trade here. i don't know about that one but yes more stimulus is coming and that's what the markets are liking. Now market on crack, as I call it, wants more crack. The market almost doesn't mind hearing weakening news because it means, oh well that means they're gonna have to print more money. And that money ends up in the stock market because there's nowhere else to go with bond yields so low. So that's the game. Constant stimulus, zero interest rates, you know, adjusted for inflation and risk, you know, endless money printing to stimulate, you know, the system, and and it mainly helps the top one to ten percent. The everyday person gets very little and eventually this whole thing flows. And when it does, it just can't be pretty when, when you kick the can down the road. Um, so so all this policy uh, is going to backfire, but it always works at least a little in the short term, but it's working less and less. So I think this policy is going to fail, but they have no other option. I mean, as soon as they cave it. If they announce no more stimulus like we started to do, the markets will start to cave and the economy will cave. That's just that's what's going to happen. You don't take more crap. You come down and you go into detox. You know, that's where we're at.
0: So, Harry, you had mentioned uh, the, the boomer spending and, and demographics. And for our listeners, maybe who aren't familiar with your work. Can you just talk briefly about the correlation between uh, demographics and some of the economic forecasting that you do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically back in the eighties when I I got this from consulting to new ventures um, after consulting to fortune 100, I decided new ventures more interesting because they're creating the future. So I just learned from going to these new ventures who were the first to pick up on the new young baby boomers, the massive wave coming. I just discovered all types of new demographic insights and developed my own methodology. So We've been using that. You know, I predicted in the late 80s when I first came up with the spending wave that the U.S. and Europe would see the best decade in history in the 90s, while Japan would see its greatest fall. Now, you don't get those two damn things right by accident because they're opposite-sounding. But that's what the demographic said. Japan's at the peak of their bubble in real estate and stocks. Their baby boom spending is their peak, and they're going down. We're saying something very similar for China now. China's demographics have peaked. Their urbanization, which is powerful, has not, but they've greatly overbuilt that. So I see China going to be to hit the worst in this bubble burst. And they're the greatest driver of the bubble um, outside of all this central bank stimulus from developed countries. So so demographics is, is this secret weapon we've had for decades. But in the last decade, I've developed a very powerful technology cycle indicator, it is also as important or more, and it's driving urbanization around the world, past the developed countries into the urban into the emerging world, and that's the biggest trend in the world. And that uh, technology cycle is saying we are right into a super bubble, on a 90-year lag from the 1929 peak, and 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 so these stimulus policies are playing into this technology and what I call super bubble cycle that comes. Every 90 years, the technology cycle comes every 45. So we basically track demographic cycles, uh, technology cycles, that's 45 years, geopolitical cycles, more like 35 years up and down. All of our key cycles are bottoming together in the next two to three years, um, which means it's going to be the hardest time for governments stimulus to work and the most likely time to see this final great crash to to end what started in 2008. 2008 was looking exactly like 1930, as our indicators would have suggested. It's just this time around central banks decided we will pull out the kitchen sink and the bazookas and the tanks and the A-bombs and do anything to keep this downturn from happening because nobody wants a Great Depression. And what they're only, what they're going to get is a bigger one, at the end of the cycle instead of the big one at the beginning like we had in the early 30s that whole the great depression lasted over a decade off and on the big crash happened first aftershock like next 2008-09 is going to look like the aftershock and the big crash is going to happen 2020 to 22 by our indicators so i mean they're they're just putting off the inevitable and you can't keep a bubble going forever nobody's ever done it no bubble has ever not burst and no bubble has ever ever had a soft landing when it finally burst that's what history says this is the biggest bubble ever but even this mighty bubble will go down you don't want to be sitting there when it does
0: well if you're just joining us we're chatting today with mr harry dent uh harry's most recent book is zero hour and if you're not yet a subscriber to his free newsletter Go check it out at harrydent.com. And Harry, as you were talking, um, and we've got about four minutes left in this segment, um, you know, you said that we're really looking at something that's going to be greater in magnitude than the Great Depression. Those are obviously very scary words, and that's a scary prediction. Um, what would you advise listeners who are thinking about retiring or, or trying to protect a nest egg? What kind of advice would you have for them?
1: Okay, first of all, I would say this will be, As great or nearly as great. The difference between this and the Great Depression was we have emerging countries on much stronger demographic cycles that give some cushion, not so much China, but the rest of the emerging world. But still, now that we've blown this bubble so far, I do expect an 80% plus stock crash. And that's more like what we saw in the Great Depression. But the important insight for investors and especially retirees all financial assets, real estate, stocks, commodities and even gold go down go 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 out of their bubbles into a reset come down to reality that what holds up are two things well actually three uh high quality bonds like you long term treasury bonds and triple a corporates because they're the safe haven they they are safe those are the bonds that aren't going to default all other bonds are going to have risk of that so they hold their value they pay you interest to maybe 3% of your lucky, maybe 4% on a triple-A corporate, which gives you cash and cash flow. They hold up. In the 30s, those bonds doubled in value while everything else crashed. Um, Cash flow positive, like apartment rentals, real estate, that holds up well and gives you cash flow when cash is highly valued. And simply selling risk assets and and creating a pile of cash and high-quality bonds that are more liquid, when things crash, Two to three years later, you can buy stocks, companies, gold, commodities, real estate. It may take a little longer to get the good values on real estate at, at what we call the sale of a lifetime. So the the issue is if you wait, wait, wait and say, well, I'll wait till it's clear. Well, well, what happens when that first 40%, 50% crash happens in two to three months? And then you panic and then, you know, it's too late. So the key is you've got to preserve your capital near the top of such an unprecedented bubble and say, look, even if I don't quite get the top, if I get out a little early, like uh, Baron Rothschild said was the secret of his wealth in the 1800s, um, you preserve your wealth. And and that wealth, that, that money is worth way more when everything drops. And then like Joseph Kennedy, you buy stuff at the bottom. You know, so that's the trick. Just get more conservative, whether you just lean from from, you know, higher quality bonds, from lower quality. If you have to stay in some stock allocations, your 401k will go from the tech stocks and, and high growth stocks to the utilities and the consumer staples and stuff if you have to choose some stocks. and And, and commodities are still going to go down further. Gold's going to go down again, even though it's rallying. You just get safer and then you start buying in 2022 forward in, again, what we call the sale of a lifetime. You will only see a crash of this magnitude once in a lifetime. In fact, you'll only see the opportunity to buy everything at bargain prices. But only the people that preserve their capital will have that opportunity. If you lose 80% on your stocks, lose 50% on your real estate with debt against it, which means you can be underwater and so on. So you're not going to have any money to take advantage of the sale of a lifetime. You're going to be kicking yourself forever.
0: Well, that is perfect timing. Uh, The bad news is that's the end of this segment with Harry Dent. However, he will be back in the next segment when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting today with Mr. Harry Dent. Harry is the best-selling author of the book Zero Hour. And if you're not yet a subscriber to his free newsletter, I would encourage you to check it out at harrydent.com. And, Harry, we talked in the last segment um, a bit about negative interest rates. And I can only describe negative interest rates as lunacy. I mean, who on earth would, would, would make an investment only to get back less than you invested at a certain point down the road? How would you explain that these things can even exist?
1: Well, you know, it's inconvenient for people to hold cash somewhere or physical gold or whatever they're looking at protecting themselves. So people will tolerate that some, even though it is ridiculous. What it is a symptom of or, or an example of governments are just desperate to do anything to stimulate the economy. What happens in a bubble boom, like we already saw, um, especially from 1995 into 2007, financial assets get overvalued, debt grows much faster than normal because there was low interest rates and strong growth promoting that. We call it the fall bubble boom season, like happened in the early 1900s and the roaring 20s and repeats 80 years later in this recent boom. People overborrow. There's excess capacity in business, overinvestment, financial assets get bid up to ridiculous values so that you could never make money if you bought them at those values, whether you're an older investor or younger investors. And so the bubbles have to burst and the debt has to be leveraged. That, this is a cycle, again, only happens every other generation, about every 80 to 90 years, and then it's very devastating. Negative interest rates are a key part about of uh, this. Never before have interest rates gone negative. Never before have government, they printed some money in the Great Depression to cushion the banking system, but nothing like that. They printed three times as much compared to the economy, and they're still printing. So this is a desperate effort that's gone to extremes. It means older investors saving for retirement can't afford to get into this type of safe bonds with guaranteed reasonable interest to fund their retirement that they should do so people have more stocks than they should and more risky bonds and junk bonds they're going to get clobbered on that just when they need the money most when this reset happens so negative interest rates are stupid and desperate this will not 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 look good from history's perspective how could grown educated men and bankers and especially federal reserve chairman who's supposed to be long-range you know, smart thinkers, conservatives have just blown this sort of, I mean, this is like taking crack every day. And every time you come down, you just take double the dose. They keep upping the dose of stimulus, keep pushing interest rates. Now, not just free money adjusted inflation, like you say, negative interest rates and not just short term, long term bonds more and more are negative interest rates. This is perverting the economy. It only causes excess bigger bubbles in financial assets more over investment in capacity in businesses and that all takes a bigger deleveraging and shakeout to to come back down to reality so you only create a bigger bust down the road because last i looked through all of history and all of religious history and human evolution you don't get something for nothing damn it and that's what basically government policies are doing we'll just keep keep printing more money cutting more taxes next thing they'll be sending money to consumers and you have to spend it by the election I, I can see them sending a debit card to every household and saying oh but it expires you know 2 weeks before the election so get donald trump reelected you know that that sounds good
0: well you know harry as you you mentioned uh, donald trump you mentioned in the last segment we were talking that one of the cycles that you track is a geopolitical cycle. Can you expand on that? And based on uh, what you've learned from your geopolitical cycle, uh, talk a little bit about 2020 and uh, what politics might look like here in the U.S. and around the world.
1: Well, you know, I think this geopolitical cycle is going to be, my, the, it is actually at its worst early next year. It's the only cycle that is bottoming near term. Our other three cycles, four, all bottom somewhere between two thousand twenty two and twenty three and one of them doesn't bottom till two thousand thirty two. But but it's the one cycle that should be about to turn up. I think this, you know, this public shootings and stuff, in other words, we've gone from the terrorists in two thousand one being the you know, the radical Muslims and type of terrorists. Now we've gone towards the worst terrorists are the homegrown white supremacists and stuff. I, everybody's getting sick of this stuff, and I think it's basically, you know, you're finally going to see some action and stuff. So I think this is is the first thing to possibly turn around, but it's still a trigger uh, along with these other cycles. But uh, so so I think the surprise is that we're not going to see World War 3 We're not going to see worse and worse terrorism, but it is still getting worse now. And so it's going to be no help. And once this bubble starts to crash, that will not be as relevant. And, of course, on the flip side, you're going to get a lot of unrest. I I am not just in Puerto Rico because the cost of living are lower and it would be closer to my vacation house, and I am getting some tax advantages, even though I didn't move here at first for that. Um, I'm here because they've been through 12 years of recession and the worst hurricane in their history and there's been very little civil unrest. If we had anything like what Puerto Rico's experienced in the U.S. and what we're seeing in Trump America with blue and red is is, is polarized as if they, if they were at the beginning of the Civil War, we'd have much worse. So I do think that the downturn itself is going to cause a lot of civil unrest. I don't think the international geopolitical uh, uh, cycle is going to create the havoc it has since nine eleven. I by the way, Dennis, I only found that cycle following my demographics when the final boom from two thousand to two thousand seven, which we forecast way in advance and, and right at the when it started, was not as strong as I expected on demographic factors alone. That's because the geopolitical cycle turned negative in two thousand and one and stocks do have to have half the valuations in the bad geopolitical cycle. So so I, I had to I had to realize, gosh, stocks are not doing as good as they did in the 90s boom, as I thought they would in, in the final surge. And what's the reason? I finally found. Oh, I found this geopolitical cycle. And I tell you, it's like a clock, 17 to 18 years positive, like like uh, 82 into 2000, and then then 17 18 years negative, like 2001 and two right current times. But but this is the one cycle. It may start to work to our advantage, but but the other cycles are still overwhelmingly negative for the next two to three years, and that's when I think the worst of this crash is going to happen.
0: So, what's your take on uh, how the twenty twenty presidential election might play out? If you have an opinion,
1: well, I do, and it's my two scenarios. Now, naturally, this bubble looks like it's in its final phase, and it should peak early next year with one more rally. It might be a correction. In a rally, or this rally just continues, we can break up a little higher, which still looks slightly more likely. But but it's but it would naturally peak and go down. But you know Donald Trump is going to do everything. He he already see the bond markets are saying seeing weakening globally. Leading indicators are seeing that everything's pointing towards a recession hitting in 2020. And no president gets re- reelected in a stock crash in recession. Uh, including him now that he's been in long enough to be clearly blamed for it. So the 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 wild card is that Trump pulls some very strong one more stimulus that just gets the economy, keeps it from coming down in most of two thousand twenty, then it goes down after the election. He may or may still not get reelected in that scenario because he's also coming apart at the scenes in some ways. But that that is two thousand twenty Is going to be a tipping point one way or the other. The question is, does this thing peak at the beginning of the year more or towards the end? Um, And that is still a question. I still favor the peak coming earlier, and that would mean he does not get reelected. The markets uh, and the economy, if they go down, will very likely decide the election against the Republicans and for the Democrats.
0: People tend to vote their pocketbook, and uh, you know the state of the economy on election day usually predicts the outcome, so absolutely true. So Harry, we've got just uh, a few minutes left. Um, let's talk a little bit about pensions, because I think one of the stories that goes underreported anyway, in my view, is the effect that all these low interest rates and negative interest rates are having on pension plans. Can you comment?:
1: Oh my God, it's death. These people, I mean, again, they're like life insurance companies. They're supposed to invest conservative, especially when their pensioners are getting close to retirement, just like you know, retirees should invest more conservatively. And, and then, you know, their plans have always, well, we need with these slightly more conservative allocate, we need to make seven, eight percent a year. Well, that's impossible with these super low interest rates without buying junk bonds and without buying high dividend stocks. So, so it is very hard for them to meet their targets, and the degree they do, they are having to get riskier than they should, which is going to backfire on them. And, and this is one of the – a lot of the triggers I see for the next, next trend, the debt since 2007 and 2008 in the last bubble has largely come because of, of, of low-cost money printed by the developed countries and central banks. Emerging countries caught up, and they borrowed themselves silly. Now, they're the ones that are going to have the riskiest debt and default, and these pension plans, municipalities and stuff are going to have big problems, and they're going to have to start defaulting and, and restructuring, and that's going to hurt their beneficiaries and therefore consumers. And I'm sitting in Puerto Rico. They've already gone through this. They're in a 12-year recession because the pharma tax incentives phase out, but then their bonds, their their tax-exempt bonds, which which a lot of local people bought here, not just the hedge funds and stuff. Those have been defaulting, and that's hurting consumers. Little old ladies in Puerto Rico are hurting, and they're spending less. So they've been in a 12-year recession. So this is another reason that you just can't keep stimulating your way out of this. The very negative interest rates are causing bank profits to keep going down. So bank stocks keep cratering, even with the recovery and it's causing these poor pension plans to be even more under pressure than the excessive aging of the of their gener- of the baby boom generation is already putting on so so there's no way, way to win this battle the fundamental trends are bad the only thing keeping us going is crack like stimulus and that will fail as all artificial drugs fail and we will detox and deleverage and it will be nasty i'm just trying to be the lone wolf out there that warns people about this, I get a lot of flack for this, Dennis, as you know. and But somebody's got to say it. Everybody's like, you know, well, if they just keep doing this and blah, 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 blah. And there's one big hedge from, that, oh, we can have a beautiful deleveraging. Never been a beautiful deleveraging in history. End of story.
0: Well, our guest today has been Mr. Harry Dent. Harry, always so much to talk about with you, but unfortunately the clock says that uh, we have to end it there. Uh, I've been chatting with Mr. Harry Dent. His book is Zero Hour. Uh, If you'd like to get his free newsletter, you can go to harrydent.com and subscribe. And Harry, thanks for being on the program again. Love to have you back down the road.
1: Okay, great, Dennis.
0: I'll be back after these words. This is RLA Radio. I am Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today. You know, in the first segment of today's program, I talked about something called the Dow to Gold Ratio. And I used this ratio to share with you my forecast for stocks and gold. Now, the Dow to Gold Ratio, just in case you were not listening during the first segment, is calculated quite easily. You simply take the value of the Dow Jones Industrial Average and you divide by the price of gold per ounce. So it's the price of the Dow Jones Industrial Average in dollars divided by the price of gold per ounce in dollars. Currently the Dow to gold ratio is about 18. Now the reason that I like to use the Dow to gold ratio is that the US dollar has not had consistent value over time However, an ounce of gold has always been an ounce of gold, so the value has been consistent. And as gold prices go up in terms of dollars, as they have been significantly this year, what that's really telling us is the purchasing power of the dollar is declining because gold is not inherently worth more now than it was at the beginning of the year in real terms. It's still takes the same amount of gold to make a necklace or a ring. It's just that in dollar terms, the value of gold has increased. So to adjust the value of stocks to real terms, I like to take the value of the Dow and divide by gold. Now, in the first segment I also mentioned, there were a couple things driving the stock price up. And 18, incidentally, on the Dow to gold ratio is historically uh, kind of a middle-of-the-road number. Prior to the tech stock bubble crash, that number got up over 40. And at the market bottoms of the Great Depression, um, at the market bottom in uh, 1980 after the 70s, we saw that ratio go from from 2 to 1. And as I mentioned in the first segment, my forecast is for that Dow to Gold ratio to reach 1. And there's a lot that has been driving stocks. One, as I mentioned in the first segment, stock buybacks. Companies use the additional cash they had after the 2017 corporate tax cuts to buy back some of their own stock. However, that is slowing down. And as buybacks slow, that means one of the activities that has been driving up stock prices becomes less influential and make stocks more susceptible to a decline. Second factor is margin debt. And as I mentioned in the first segment, margin debt is debt that an investor incurs to purchase securities, usually stocks. And as long as margin debt keeps going up, what it means is investors are continuing to borrow more money to invest in stocks, and that creates additional demand as well. Now, margin debt is near an all-time high on a nominal basis. And on a real basis, adjusted for inflation, margin debt is still below all-time high. So perhaps there's a little more room here to add margin debt, but I wouldn't count on it. Now, one of Warren Buffett's favorite indicators to gauge stock valuation uh, is not unlike the Dow to Gold ratio, although Mr. Buffett, notably, uh, doesn't comment on gold. Mr. Buffett likes to use market capitalization to domestic gross domestic product. So take the total value of the stock market, total market capitalization, and divide by total economic output. And that tells you, on a relative basis, are stocks inflated? Well, if you go back to just prior to the tech stock crash back in 2000, the ratio of market cap to economic output was 161%. At the market bottom, after the financial crisis, it dropped to 65%. It is presently back to about 146%. So there's only one time historically that this market capitalization to gross domestic product ratio has been higher and it's just prior to the tech stock bubble crash. Now, one other thing that I should point out. If you take a look at price earnings ratios, which is traditionally how someone would value stocks, Robert Schiller has something called a cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratio. Basically, when you take a look at the ratios, there's only three times in history that this number has exceeded 30, when the price of a stock was 30 times earnings using this cyclically adjusted index. The first time was in 1929. The second time was prior to the tech stock bubble crash. And the third time is now. Well, in 1929 and 2000, the only two other times this has exceeded 30, we know what happened. We are there again. Now let me speak just a little bit about gold in the time I have left. Central bank policies are improving the fundamentals for gold, and I'll be talking about this on the program next week with Alistair McLeod. Money creation via quantitative easing programs worldwide are bullish for tangible assets, gold in particular. Now, Peter Schiff, who's been a past guest here on the program, had this to say this past week about his call for gold reaching $5,000 per ounce. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Well, Schiff agrees. Here's what he said. Most investors think my $5,000 gold call is crazy. But what's crazier, negative interest rates or $5,000 gold? Last week's guest here on the program, Mr. Michael Pento of Pento Portfolio Strategies, said this. He said, when interest rates are up, keeping money in a cash deposit account makes sense. If you had a choice between depositing money in an account yielding 6% interest or buying gold that doesn't yield much, if anything, most investors will choose the deposit account and capture the investment yield. However, if cash accounts and gold are both yielding zero, most investors are going to opt for the tangible asset gold, rather than keeping assets in a fiat currency. So that's the logic behind my forecast. If you'd like to learn more, we have resources available on our website. You can go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. We also talk about this at educational events that we hold around the area. You could go to socialsecuritydinner.com and see when the next event is going to be held. Again, that website, socialsecuritydinner.com. Thanks for listening today. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.